Hey, Jesse Paul Smith here, and I am so excited to get into this episode of My Creative District Podcast. We talk with Kelly Klinger, who has done so much in the music industry, you know, did work with Mickey Mouse Club, did work with Britney Spears, had a very successful career in the music business, and transitioned into speaking and becoming an entrepreneur and she drops some really big value nuggets when it comes to living out an authentic life and how she had to make a choice of being a sellout and being famous or being true to herself and becoming successful so you're going to want to tune into this episode because it's going to be fire let's get to it Welcome to another episode of the My Creative District podcast, where we discuss how to channel your creative power into building the life you want, building the business you want, and making the impact you want. We believe creatives can live out a passionate and fulfilled life when they completely embrace their unique design and purpose. Want to turn your passion into profit? Stay tuned to hear from industry professionals, paradigm shifters, and world changers who have done just that and live it every day. This is the My Creative District Podcast with your host, Jesse Paul Smith. Hey guys, today I am interviewing Kelly Klinger and we will be discussing how she lives out her authenticity and how she also likes to break through the noise and spread a little joy. But before we begin, I want to remind you that My Creative District and Worldwide Dance Challenge has just reopened enrollment into the Worldwide Dance Academy. If you know anyone that would be interested in learning how to create a platform for their passion for dance and how to monetize it, then make sure you have them visit WorldwideDanceChallenge.com forward slash academy to learn more. Now, I am super excited to get into this interview Miss Kelly, thank you so much for joining us, and I know that you're about to drop some gold on our audience, so welcome to the show. Thanks so much for asking me to be on your show. This is awesome. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, I know that there's going to be some people out there that have bumped into you in several different ways, whether it's, you know, checking out your very comical social media posts, or, <laughs> uh, or they have heard of you through the people that you've worked with or whatever. Um, let's just go back and do a little backstory on who you are and kind of what your journey has been. But I always like to ask this question, where, like, where things started for you, the 13-year-old version of Kelly, what were you up to? You know, what was kind of going on in your life at that time? At 13 years old? Yeah. Okay, so I had New Kids on the Block posters all over my wall. Yes. For sure, and was like a thousand percent convinced that I was going to marry Joey McIntyre. So <laughs> <laughs> that was part of my, that was part of me at 13. And then I had already started singing at 13. I had a vocal coach. And so that was a huge part of my identity at a very early age, but especially like right into the, into the teenage years is when I, I started thinking, you know, I think I might want to do this for a job. So yeah, that's what I was doing at 13. And when you said, I want to do this for a job, like what was like, when you said that, what, what was like the real vision when you started oh, to really think yeah, that the you were going to The real vision was like, I'm going to be Celine Dion, Mariah Carey, okay. Paul Abdul. Like I, I, yeah, I'm going to be one of them. Right on. Right on. And now I know that, you know, there was some, there was some 
environments that you were in, some places that you were in that kind of also got you around other people with some of the similar interests. So, yeah. so what were some of the steps that you took to kind of cultivate that, that dream? Well, it was really hard at that time because we had just moved to, we had just moved from Mississippi where I lived up until that point to Florida, which was number one, a ginormous culture shock. <laughs> and, yeah, I mean, we moved to Melbourne, Florida, which was on the beach and everyone can't see me right now, but my skin basically glows in the dark. I'm the <laughs> palest person on the planet. So they moved us, we moved to the beach, which was funny, but I was really searching for some way to like use my talent. And of course my mom had found me a vocal coach and, and, um, but so I was watching the Disney channel and I had been watching it a couple of times. I, I started watching the Mickey mouse club and I don't know what it was, but at the end of one of the shows, like maybe like the 20th show I had watched, I heard filmed at Disney MGM studios and, you know, in Lake Buena Vista, Florida. And I was like, Hmm, I wonder how far away that is from Melbourne where we were living. And of course, we didn't have internet back then. We didn't right. have no Google. Google it. You know, I literally was like, mom, do you have a map of Florida? <laughs> there you go. So I got the map out and looked and I was like, okay, it's only like an hour away. So I convinced my mom to, you know, to get more details. And so she drove me to the Mickey Mouse Club. I'm going to say I was probably 14 at that time, 14 or 15. And that's kind of where I started to be around other people who were doing what I wanted to do and started to cultivate friendships with people and who were singing and dancing and acting. And, you know, that show was just perfect for people like me that that's what they wanted to do. So I started going to the Mickey Mouse Club right around that age, which sort of helped to develop all of, you know, oh, that's what I want to do. Now, I want to talk about that, though, because I, one of the things I think is fascinating about this part of your story is you didn't show up there to necessarily, well, you didn't show up there with the expectations of, I'm going to get on cast, right? You showed right. up there to do what? Well, I showed up because I was basically looking for Damon Pampolina, who was... <laughs> so was every girl at that know, point. Right? He was a Mouseketeer and I just thought he was just so beautiful. And so I was like, mom, you have to take me there. My first intention was to meet Damon. Well, I got to the show and Damon had already joined the party, which was a group that stemmed off of the Mickey Mouse Club, five kids that were Mouseketeers that they put in a group. And so Damon wasn't there when I got there. And so I remember sitting on those little carpet covered stairs crying and being like, Oh, he's not even here, you know? And then in five minutes was so mesmerized by everyone else. And I was like, you know, I don't even care that he's not here. This is such a fun environment. And these are such great kids and I want to be friends with these people. And so, yeah, my first intention was to meet Damon. That was why, why I started going. So but and then you 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 continued to show up right you continued to show up and and you you built these relationships and and let me ask you this how do you feel um because i know that you didn't do it and you were trying you weren't building the relationship with a back door to get into the mickey mouse club you were building it because you genuinely had an interest in these people whatever that it wasn't for your career it was because you just wanted to be around people but what do you think 
you building relationships with people, not because of what they could do for you, but because of your genuine interest in who they were and your connection to your dream. How do you feel like that sets you up for future success? Well, I think when you meet people who have any kind of massive influence or fame or anything like that, I think, you know, it's really, really hard for them to find genuine friends. It's really hard for them to find people that they trust. And, you know, everyone has an agenda or everyone has something that they want from them. And I was just born authentic. I was just born like, look, this is who I am. And if you don't like it, that's fine. I love you anyways, but I'm not going to change who I am if it makes you uncomfortable or if it makes you, you know, I'm just going to be me. And so I go in every single relationship like that. And I think over time, because I started going at the beginning of the third season and I went up until the show got canceled at the end of the sixth season. And I just was proved how trustworthy I was. And I proved that they, that I could be there for them and that I would be there for them. And that it didn't really matter to me that, you know, they were famous, which is funny because there's a lot of people who didn't watch the Mickey Mouse Club. So, you know, like to me, to me, they had a level of fame and to people who did watch the show, they had a level of fame. But, you know, if you ask the average person who TJ Fantini is, they're not going to know. Right. But I was so respectful and in awe of what they did and the professionalism that they did it with that it was just something that I wanted to be around. It was people that I wanted to be around. And and I don't know how it happened. I don't know why they were like, okay, this girl's a fan, but we're going to let her in to be a friend. I don't know. Like the only thing that I can say is that I was just myself. So, well, and I wonder, you know, because people, people, you know, intuitively can feel things, right? We just, like you kind of said, there's this level of comfort. And I think that, you know, when you genuinely, and I think this is so important to talk about, because when you, you know, when somebody's there because you can tell they're there because they're kind of expecting something else in return. And it's not necessarily a relationship of any sort, right? They're looking for a transaction. And when somebody can genuinely see, oh, this person's not here for a transaction, they're just genuinely interested in me, people can feel that. They can sense that. And I I think so many people, especially in the entertainment business, are so transactionally minded that it actually works against them because they get this chance to be around influential people and then they lose the humanity of the person they're trying to connect with and it's all about you know, what they can do, uh, what that person can do for them. And, and people can sense that. Yeah. And what's funny is that if you are patient and you show your loyalty and you show your respect, those people actually come to you. Yeah. They don't, because they know, okay, this guy or this girl, they're not in this, they're in this because they really respect me for what I do, or they really respect who I am. And you know, eventually I feel like it kind of comes back around and those people do something for you, which in in my case is exactly what happened. You know, when, when Justin and JC moved back down to Orlando to form and sync, I was right there in the middle of it because, you know, I was friends with them through all of Mickey Mouse club. And I had become really, really good friends with, with Justin's mom and so when NSYNC, you know, first got together and, you know, they were doing all that, I was right there up in the middle of it. 
And man, you talk about learning and absorbing and, you know, being in studio situations that I hadn't been in before and being around management and looking at contracts and that kind of thing. I would have not known anything about any of that had I not built those relationships ahead of time and been invited into those environments. And so now you go from, you know, you, you go from, you know, moving to Melbourne, being a fan of the Mickey Mouse Club, hanging out with them, becoming friends with them. All of a sudden now you're put in, you know, the, the thick of it with sync. What starts happening in your music career? What starts happening next for you? Well, I remember I went into, so I was, there, <laughs> there was another entertainment company who had signed three different groups. And it's hilarious because none of the people in the groups could sing. So they, so they needed to bring in somebody to be the voice. Now, that happens them, more than we want to admit, yeah. right? And one of them was actually a group of little boys. Oh. And they would bring me in to sing lead on all of these albums. And, wow. you know, they, they would pay me to come in. And, you know, so I, I ended up doing that. And in the process of doing that, Johnny Wright heard me sing. Johnny Wright is, is manager, was manager of NSYNC and Britney. And so he heard me sing and he was like, you know, I wonder if I have a spot for you somewhere or, you know, if, if there's something that I could, that if there's some, if I could give you a job basically. So, and also Lou Pearlman, who at the time was in charge of Transcontinental Records, who eventually, you know, everyone found out was a swindler and he got put in jail. So straight up Lou Pearlman is what got me to LA. Really? Yeah, I went to Fashion Rock. I, I believe it. I believe <laughs> it. Oh, God. The story's about, story about Lou. Yeah. But, so, yeah, I, um, you know, the, it, it, word got around, oh, this girl can sing. And I couldn't just sing. I could sing. Like, I, and I could sound like whoever you wanted me to sound like because I had spent my childhood trying to sound like Mariah Carey and Whitney Houston mm -hmm. and Celine Dion. And I figured out how to manipulate my voice to sound like different people. So it came time when Johnny signed Britney for her solo deal and they were looking for background vocalists and they auditioned. I don't know how many people, it was a lot, but Johnny, uh, his people called me up and said, we really want you to come in and audition. And I was like, why do I need to audition? I already know I can sing, you know? And yeah. so I went in and auditioned and they chose me and one other girl to do the first, Britney's first headlining tour, the Hit Me Baby One More Time tour. Wow. Yeah. And what happened after that? What happened after that? Yeah. Like what, like you get this tour, what, what starts going on for you? What do you start spending the next several years of your life doing? Um, sounding like Britney Spears. <laughs> <laughs> so did you, now did you, how many albums did you actually work with her on? All of the first one and a few songs of the second one that were recorded, you know, earlier. That didn't okay. make it on the first album and that they put on the second album. Okay. Yeah. Now, but obviously. there is no credit to me anywhere. There is zero credit. So if you try if if there is a cd that still exists that has credits in it you know remember those from a long time yeah there my name is nowhere but this it's interesting because you and i know some of the 
a lot of the same people. And mm -hmm. obviously there's no argument that you did work, you know, you did the work with her. So like there right. was enough people around to know, Oh no, that was, that was Kelly. But that's, that's how sometimes, you know, everything that, you know, everything that's uh, shiny isn't gold. Right. And I, I think that's the other thing that there's, there's two sides of this, of this, you know, performance dream. There is this beauty of flashing lights, but there is also a darker side that unfortunately happens more often than people realize. For sure. And I don't know if you, if you've ever heard the reason why I left tour, but I, we were in a, in a city one night and we were all in a bar and I, someone slipped something in my drink and mm. I ended up, I was raped in a hotel room and they, that night I tried to commit suicide and one of Brittany's bodyguards found me and called the am called 911 and he rode with me in the ambulance. And I remember that guy preaching to me being like, you are one of a kind and you are unique and you were made with a purpose and you're not going anywhere and I'm going to make sure of it. And wow. the ironic thing is that that guy died of a heart attack about five years ago out of nowhere. Wow. And I'm like that, his name was Q. We called him Q and he basically saved my life. And so I ended up in a hospital. My mom flew to the hospital. My mom took me home. She said, I'm not, you're not doing this. She said, mm -hmm. you, this is killing you mm -hmm. trying to do this thing that you love. If it kills you, you know, it wasn't worth it. So right. we need to figure out a different Avenue. We need to figure out something else. And I'm not going to let you keep doing that, doing this. That's interesting that you say that. So, so you make a pretty important point. She said that the way that you're doing this is killing you. I'm, I'm curious what did you learn during that time? Because a, a lot of people spend their time trying to figure out who they are and where they fit, right? And just because the opportunity opens up doesn't mean that's necessarily a good fit for you. Right. But because just because it's not a good fit for you doesn't mean that you're not fit for the dream or the dream isn't supposed to be what you're supposed to be going after. It just might look a little different. But I'm curious what did you learn during that time being on tour and doing all this stuff with Brittany? I learned never to compromise who you are or what you believe for a job. Ooh. And that if that, if fame or fortune or any of that meant that I would have to throw all of my beliefs out the window, throw all of my morals out the window throw, you know, all of my integrity, integrity and authenticity, it was not for me. And sadly, so much of the entertainment business is that way. Yeah. It's not all that way. And it's, I feel like it's much, much more authentic than it used to be because of social media and things like that. But I learned that I needed to have a little more self-worth and I needed to look inside of myself and, and ask myself, why did I compromise these pieces of myself to, you know, attain some kind of, ooh, everybody knows who I am. I'm excited for where this conversation is going because I think this is so important for people to hear. So I'm curious, you have this kind of a wake up call, right? You know, I think there's people that have had those moments, but they don't know what to do with it. They don't know. You're talking about authenticity. And, and I think there's some people out there that hear it. It's kind of a buzzword, mm -hmm. 
yeah. but people don't understand what it, what it takes or how to even start to find themselves. They've been spending so many time, so much time trying to sing and sound like somebody else, or for me, trying to, trying to be another version of a, a, you know, a popular artist out there and they lose themselves in the process. Right. How did you go back to, you know, the roots and rediscover yourself? Lots of therapy. I'm a okay. big believer in therapy. I think everyone should be in therapy. I don't even, I don't care who you are or what you do. I think it's so important. There was just something inside of me that was like, I have some work to do and I'm going to do whatever I can to fix, to try to fix the parts in me that were broken. The ones that were so broken that they, I compromised a lot of who I was. Yeah. I mean, I think I just decided I just need to do the work. And I, I think it's, there's something of, there's something about being very self-aware and what's funny is when you try to emulate certain famous people or when you're trying to attain what they have, I always say, look at that person. Like for instance, Brittany, let's just take Brittany as an example. Brittany, we've watched her self-destruct. I mean, it's, it's horrible. It's awful. Yeah. And so hindsight's 2020, 20, right? So I look back and I think, man, I got the better deal. What happened to me was horrible, but you know, I get to sing, I get to go out to a grocery store and nobody knows who I am. I get to, you know, <laughs> like I'm, nobody's watching me and wondering, you know, what I'm doing and am I okay? And, and, you know, what I'm wearing and what's, oh God, she's gained weight or whatever. You know, like, I feel like in a lot of ways, I, I, I get to have the fun and I get to still use the talent that I have without the pressure. And I think some people just weren't made for that pressure. Mm. And that doesn't mean you're broken. Doesn't mean you're not good enough. It doesn't mean any no. of those things. It just means it's not for you. Right. It's not for you. There's a different avenue and that's okay. There's a different avenue for you to use that talent. And maybe you're not going to be, you know, Justin Timberlake's backup dancer but maybe you're going to find a different way and maybe figure out what the purpose is of you doing this. If you want to be a dancer and singer and, and the purpose of all of it is to be famous and rich, then you probably need to reevaluate why you're doing it because there should be a greater purpose for why you're, why you're doing it. And whether it's because you're going to be given a platform to talk to people, you're going to be given a platform to be able to teach kids who, who maybe can't afford dance lessons or voice lessons, or there has to be a bigger picture than just what you're staring at right now. It, there has to be, or else you will like crumble in the process. Yeah. And I think one of the things that, uh, so, you know, again, one of the things I love about what you're talking about is that there's, there's multiple ways to, to do what you love to do. And that doesn't mean that, that doesn't mean that if you don't get the stage and you don't get the lights and you don't get the fame, that you're not going to be successful. I mean, that was one of the biggest wake up calls for me when I went into the business sector is that I started to realize, holy smokes, I know some extremely successful people and actually to your point, they can walk into a grocery store. Nobody knows who they are. They have 
you know, their sanity intact. They're not being, you know, scrutinized with a fine tooth comb. Um, and, and sometimes they're making way more money than any of the people with the glitz and glam. Cause you and I both know just because they're on stage with a lot of lights doesn't mean they're even being successful, right? They're renting cars and their apartment's a mess and you know, all these kinds of things. Yeah. But, but what you're talking about is being, being good with who you are is far more valuable than selling out and having to have all the fame and the pressure. And a lot of these people that we see are absolutely miserable. Oh yeah. Uh, They're miserable. Yeah. I know some. And it's when you, the, you know, the fame and the fortune allows you many perks it allows you to be able to go places that you'd never be able to go. And, but how much fun is it to go to that place and not be able to explore at all because you can't go out in public. Mm-hmm. Like there, there is so much sacrifice involved. And I know it's like, went went poor thing. Oh, they're famous and they can't go anywhere. But no, I mean, that's why you see people who, commit suicide or overdose or, you know, disappear. They disappear because they can't take it anymore. You know, there are certain things that are humanity. It just can't, it can't deal with. And I think so much of what comes with trying to be famous, it just goes beyond what our, what our bodies and our, and our minds were made to handle. So, and, and let's talk about that a little bit because you were able to pivot you were able to take your love for music, your love for singing and, and, and also tapped into a couple of other talents uh, that you have um, that gave you the ability to still do what you love to do. So, you know, what was, what was it that you, that you, how did you pivot and where did you go after the whole debacle with the Britney tour? Well, I think the, the natural, place for me to go was to church and you know most people when you get to a certain age and you know because like when you're like 25 26 and you're a singer you're done you know you're like (laughs) yeah so um you know the most natural transition was to sing in church and you know that also did a whole lot to help to heal my heart and Mm. And also to connect with people who were songwriters and, you know, and, and it was just in a different direction Yeah. and it didn't make it any less important. I mean, I still hear from people that heard me sing in a church, you know, 15 years ago that are like that song you sang changed my life or, mm. you know, the story that you told changed my life. And you know, I, I also taught music at an orphanage for a while and you wow. talk about being, feeling fulfilled. I, I mean, every problem that I ever thought I had in my life went out the window. It was not important anymore. Sure. And, and, you know, that was another thing that I just, I, I looked for ways to help people with what I felt like God had given me. Yeah. And in the process of the singing part, I realized that God had also given me a voice to speak. Okay. Yeah. And that I had sort of a different perspective on life than maybe other people did. And yeah, so that's kind of when I started writing more and, you know, thinking about, okay, what is it, you know, if I was going to speak, what would I want to say to the world? So. And now 
in that process as well, you also tapped into an entrepreneurial side. So tell us a little bit about that and this, this, this basically like this online store that you have, and you have a very interesting business partner. <laughs> I do. <laughs> so I co-own a online store with Lynn Harless, who's Justin Timberlake's mother. And it's called Bye Bye Bye, like B-E-Y. The, the website is buybuybuymerch.com. But it's basically items and clothing from the 90s and the early 2000s. It's a lot of pop culture things. There's Jordans. There's every Justin Timberlake t-shirt you've ever wanted in your life. We have it, I promise. And it's funny because, you know, we've, I've been friends with Lynn forever. And when she, when we first started talking about this, she's like, nobody, nobody wants this stuff, you know? And I was like, you know, it took me a couple of months to be like, no, they really do. (laughs) And so we launched like right when COVID started. Oh, wow. I think in March and we made more in that first month than most people make in a year. Like, yeah crazy and she was like okay you were right they did want the NSYNC stuff you know <laughs> southern drawl and all right yep she was like okay fine we're just gonna have to like you know find some other stuff and so we went she has a house in Memphis too so we went we go back and forth and just get more stuff every single time and you know and it's been really fun now and this is something that I think is is super important to to touch on because you know if you listen to anybody that's successful you know business wise and even if you look at some of the most commercialized celebrities out there they're all getting into businesses now because diversifying your portfolio and your income is just plain smart what do you think all of the the life lessons all of the things that you went through in your life how do you feel like it set you up to be in business with somebody that is so unique like that because I mean that also presents some interesting dynamics when you're working with somebody that even though she's his mom you know yeah she's still somebody that people know about right yeah people she still has she has influence for sure I mean, she created Justin Timberlake. That's kind of a big deal, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Just a little bit. I know I, there's a meme that's like, you know, I created Facebook or I created Apple. And then it's a picture of her at the bottom and says, uh, whatever, I created Justin Timberlake. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I think one thing that I've, that I've always sort of carried with me along the way is that if there's something that you love something that you have like a it keeps coming back a key it's some kind of like weird knowledge and for me I know so much about pop culture and if you love something and you know know about it and you can make money doing it boom like that you're never gonna feel like you're working So when it came to everything with her and we stumbled upon all of this stuff, I mean, we're talking like original Tommy Hilfiger, Genco, like stuff. Oh, Genco's, my goodness. Yes. Like Echo and FUBU and, you know, all of these brands that I was like, oh my gosh, I loved all that stuff, you know? Yeah. 
And when, when we found all that, I was like, we, this has to be a business, you know? And she was like, nobody, you know, like I said, she was like, nobody wants this stuff. And I was like, no, they really do. Like they, uh, this is going to be really successful. And, you know, it took me being really persistent to, to kind of talk her into it. And of course we had to, you know, make sure Justin was cool with us, you know, selling all of this selling stuff. his stuff. <laughs> And, um, and then we were able to, you know, also be charitable with a lot of it and give money towards, um, you know, people who are on the front lines, you know, working, trying to COVID patients and, and that kind of thing. And, you know, that's the other thing is whatever you're doing, find some way to give back, find some way to do something outside of yourself for someone else, regardless of what it is that you're doing, you know? I think that's really important. You know, you mentioned that you're out, you discovered this, this other voice that you have, this speaking voice, right? Yeah. You know, what are you doing with that voice now currently? Cause I know you've got a couple of projects that you're working on. And uh, one of, one of which is, is definitely a very entertaining way to use your voice. So let's, <laughs> let's talk about that a little bit. So I, I started a podcast, which I feel like the rest of the world did during COVID we <laughs> home and they were like, you know, Googling, how do you start a podcast? But I, I've always had friends who, or I've always had people who've been around me and said, you should start a podcast. It was either you should start a podcast or you should be a stand-up comedian. It was one or the other. Facts. So, yeah. So I, um, and I, I'm just sarcastic and cheeky and that's just my personality. And, you know, I am the girl who everyone in the room is thinking it and I'll say it. That's just, I, that's just how I am. So, um, I decided, okay, I think I might do this. You know, I think I might try to start a podcast and I don't really know what I have to say, but I know I have something to say. And so I, it's called, oops, I said it out loud, which of course is a nod to Brittany and my days with Brittany, but it is also the fact that I say things out loud and, you know, in the midst of trying to decide you know, cause you have to write like a bio, right. For your podcast. And I'm like, I don't even know what to put here because it can't be like super serious. Cause I'm not super serious. And you know, what I came up with was that there's so much noise and so much static in the world. And there's so much, you know, division. Maybe it would be nice to have, you know, an hour each week where somebody could just hear good stuff, hear stories from people who've overcome things, hear stories about, the bachelorette here's story you know just, just just things to kind of give your brain a rest mm. and you know i i feel like i have a unique perspective because i'm an empath and so i'm more i have more empathy for people i have an extra dose of compassion for people and i'm really good at putting myself in other people's shoes and kind of walking with them through things and seeing how that feels and trying to relate to other people's stories. And I felt like that there's just not a lot of people out there that have that kind of voice or that have that kind of perspective. So I wanted to bring people on who could add to that perspective, who, who have been through things and that changed who they were and that made them a better person. That's something that could have made them super bitter, made them better. And I wanted people like that. And luckily I have the most amazing people in my life. Some are famous and some are infamous and some 
you know, are just a mom of three girls and, you know, just trying to live a mom life and figure out how to make that work. But I just, I, I wanted just that hour of just, I mean, and sometimes it's nonsense. Like I, I did a whole podcast with my daughter and all we talk about is Christmas movies and Christmas songs that we like. And, you know, like, <laughs> that's awesome. But, yeah. So the, the tagline is to let's break through the noise and spread a little joy. And my hope is that I'm going to make you laugh a little bit and I'm going to make you forget about the tension in the world and the anxiety in the air and just sort of space out for an hour and, you know, maybe come on a little storytelling journey with me. You said this and I'll, you know, we'll kind of wrap with this, but you know, you had something happen in your life that could have very easily made you bitter, right? It could have made you throw in the towel, could have made you angry at, you know, whatever, God, the universe or whoever, and say, it wasn't fair. Things like that are kind of pivotal moments for us because we have a choice. You know, we don't have a choice what happens to us, but we definitely have a choice how we respond. There's a lot of, there's a lot of people that are listening to this podcast right now that I, I, I know that have had those types of moments, right? Big or small, there's still been those moments. I, I think it's one thing to say, just don't be bitter go, you know, just, it's easier, that rolls off the tongue easier, but I want to, I want to hear from you. How did you work through that time in your life? And what would you say to somebody that's listening to this podcast right now that maybe have had that, a similar type of scenario that, that made them really bitter, but you know, it's, that's holding them back. Right. How did, how do you overcome that kind of scenario so that you can look at it in a way to help you get better instead of bitter? Life is one huge lesson and every person that comes into our life is a lesson. Every person that leaves our life is a lesson. Everything that happens to us is a lesson and it's all in how we choose to look at it and how we choose to respond to it. And most of the time, our tendency is to get defensive. Our tendency is to run and hide and say, I wasn't good enough. I wasn't, you know, whatever. But I also believe that I came to a point where I realized even something is, that's good. Sometimes the good has to be removed to make way for the great. So instead of taking that thing that, that you feel like you missed out on, or you feel like, you know, like, thank God that that door closed or thank God that that mediocre thing that I was just doing because I needed something to do. Thank God that door closed because now something really great, there's space for it. Back to the whole lesson part. Even people who come into your life who you find incredibly annoying or who you don't even like, I believe those people are mirrors to reflect onto us things that we need to change within ourselves. And that's why they annoy us so much. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I, I think like we, everyone is a lesson and if, if, and everything is a lesson. And if you can have that perspective, your entire life will change. Everything mm -hmm. will change. The family member that you're mad at, it, it will change how you look at that person. The thing that you didn't get 15 years ago and you're still hanging on to that, it will change how you look at that. And everything is about the narrative in your head. If you look back at something that happened to you and the narrative is your head and the, and the narrative in your head is, I missed that, I didn't do it right. 
you know, oh, I can't believe that guy and he didn't help me and da, 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 da. If the narrative actually is, I'm so glad that that didn't work because I wouldn't have the husband and the kids I have now, or I'm so glad that that happened to me because the lesson I learned from that changed everything. If the narrative in your head changes, everything changes. Mm. Mm. That's good. That's good. I love it. Well, listen, Kelly, it's been an absolute pleasure getting to chop it up with you. And I know you dropped a ton of uh, value for our, our audience and some comedy <laughs> and some comedy. If people want to find out more about you, more about your podcast, where can they learn about you? So the podcast Instagram is at, oops, I said it out loud. My personal Instagram, which is public, is at Kelly Klinger. So it's all, it's all pretty easy to find me. So okay. I post on the podcast Instagram every, like every single episode that's coming up and the link is on there to go to, to listen to any of the, any of the episodes that you want to listen to. Awesome. And there's also some other things in the works. We're maybe working on a book. I actually do have a book that you can buy on Amazon that I wrote. It's called Chubby Girls Don't Cheer. It's... <laughs> It's, uh, it's a book about my life and, you know, growing up in the South and moving and it's got Mickey Mouse Club and NSYNC. It's got all that stuff in there. So awesome. We'll put a, we'll put a link to all that in the show notes as well. But, uh, again, just thanks so much for, you know, cutting through some of the noise and bringing some joy during this episode. I really appreciate it. It's been a lot of, been a lot of fun. Thanks, Jesse. Thank you for listening to another episode of the My Creative District podcast with your host, Jesse Paul Smith. Here, we turn your passion into profit. Follow us on Facebook and stay tuned for another episode of the My Creative District podcast.